Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Kander. And I'm Robbie Gupta. And this is Majority 54, the podcast for meaningful conversations that change minds, change votes, and win elections. Howdy, everybody. You may have noticed that Majority 54 has a brand new look and a little bit of a brand new feel. You know, back when I launched this show back in 2017, it was exclusively about helping people have conversations with, you know, their conservative aunt or their brother-in-law who voted for Trump. And, you know, it is still about that, but it's also never been about one election. And now we're really honing in on how to change minds, how to build long lasting power and gain momentum toward progress, because it's time for progressives to stop shutting out the other side entirely and zero in on where folks can be persuaded. We're gearing up for the, one of the most consequential elections of our lifetime, obviously. And I know we say this all the time, but you know, if you listen to the last episode, you understand truly what we're talking about. And Majority 54 is going to guide you through it all and keep you up to date on everything you need to know ahead of the midterms. And most importantly, keep you focused on action. Like, what can you do to actually make a difference? And we've got a couple of new campaigns to introduce as part of this relaunch. And so the first we're calling the Pledge to Persuade, and it's a year-long campaign to encourage everyone to engage with someone outside of their immediate political bubble and maybe just convince them to vote blue in November. Ravi, you and I often sort of just wonder how many of our listeners listen to us and actually go out and use the stuff we talk about and how many of them just listen to us. And, and that's all. And look, we don't have, like, if you're listening to us, that's great. It's great for the show. It's it, it's great for a lot of reasons. But if you're listening to us and using the tools, that's even better. And we want to step that up. We don't want folks to just listen to the show and then never reach out to anybody outside their bubble. I mean, one of the big things I think that is uh, a real sticking point on the left right now, like a, a point of argument, is whether or not to engage the other side. And we've been firmly behind the idea that you can't win if you don't actually persuade some people. And so each month, we're going to check in and see how it's going, and we're going to update you with the latest tactics. And so if you've got a great story or you need to call in for some backup, we've had that happen in recent weeks, we may even have you on the show to have you share. So call into our voicemail with examples, tweet at us with examples, DM us with examples, because we really want to show what's actually happening out there in your communities. And our next announcement is also a new segment. It's the road to the midterms. And each week, we're going to give you a rundown of races to watch in different key states, but not just to watch. We're also going to talk to you about what you can do about them. And we're going to outline the unique players in each, how it all fits into the national strategy for the Democrats. And that doesn't just mean like we're going to talk about who's running for the Senate in this state or that or who's running for this U.S. House seat. Like, be prepared for us to talk to you about who's running for, I don't know, county clerk in this race, in this state that you may not have even thought was important, but it is. 
And we're going to meet some interesting people who are either involved in those races or are the candidates themselves. But more than anything, what we want to do is we want to really model for you how you can get involved and make a difference in ways that's not just everything that you could have learned about on MSNBC. Like we want to go like deeper than the MSNBC level of politics. Yeah. And in the spirit of this new segment, at the end of this very episode, we're going to talk to Ben Wickler, who's the chair of the Democratic Party of Wisconsin. And he's going to talk about all the different important races in Wisconsin and why this election matters nationwide. And he could talk about both what has worked and not worked in the past, the obstacles we're up against, and really what we can do moving forward to make a difference. So we're really excited uh, for everything that we have in store as we gear up for another election. But right now, we're going to talk about how everything in the news this week connects to how we're thinking about American politics going into this year. So, Ravi, let's talk about the news. So, Jason, I want to take a step back and instead of talking about any one current event item, I want to kind of continue the conversation we we're having last week. You know, we were talking about January 6th last week and it really felt like a bit of a downer. And so I wanted to start talking about what we can do about it. And Ezra Klein had a really good piece in the New York Times this past weekend. The headline was something about like what, you know, what Bannon gets right or something. Uh, and essentially what he was saying was like, obviously not that Bannon is correct substantively about the stolen election, but that Bannon is focusing on tactics and grassroots organizing while too many Democrats are focused on strategy talks and just complaining or being despondent. And in that world, the Bannons win. Um, And I'll I'll give you a couple of quotes. Uh, This is one quote from that piece. And this is talking about a political science expert. He says, it's what he calls political hobbyism. And it's close to a national pastime. A third of Americans say they spend two hours or more each day on politics. Of these people, four out of five say that not one minute of that time is spent on any kind of real political work. It's all TV news and podcasts and radio shows and social media and cheering and booing and complaining to friends and family. Obviously, he's not talking about our podcast, Jason, but is there some truth to what he's saying here? Like, do we spend as a party probably too much time complaining and not enough doing? Yeah, 100%. I mean, when I read that, I was evaluating. I was like, am I guilty of this? And I'm pretty sure I'm not. And here's why I think that. I am constantly amazed when I talk to friends of mine about politics. They'll bring up something that's been in the news, and I'm often embarrassed that I actually don't know what they're talking about. And reading this article kind of crystallized for me, or at least helped me put into context what that means, because I've been taking that to mean maybe I've just not been paying attention to politics like I used to. But what I realize actually is it's a good thing, and it is that the time that I spend each day on politics, it is mostly me talking to candidates who would like some help or me working on, like I'm on a couple of boards for, uh, you know, political organizations and it's, I'm actually doing stuff most of the time. And I realize that's a good thing. So I actually think I'm doing pretty well on this, but I realize that the reason that everybody is so much more informed than me when I talk to them is because so many of my friends are engaging in political hobbyism. They know what they're talking about on MSNBC, CNN, whatever. And I don't know. And I, I thought for a while that was a problem. I actually realized I think I'm doing it right. Yeah, I, I think you are too. And this is like a stoic principle, right? Focus on what you can control. And I think you and I, and our listeners, like as a community, we have so much that we can control. And so it makes no sense focusing on anything else, right? And I'm with you. And I I did some self-reflection after reading this piece. And one thing I I think I I, I come out thinking about is like, am am I like the athlete who just retired, who gains like a hundred pounds, you know, in the sense that I just was running arena for four years and electing candidates around the country and training thousands of staffers and 
undisputedly could look in the mirror and be like, I'm working every day to help this issue. And now that I'm on the board and obviously like that's helpful, but you know, to be clear, like the staff does so much more, do I need to recalculate and say, all right, there's other ways I need to get involved right now. I think the answer is probably yes. And, and I'll just go through this exercise the way I think our listeners can, because we have listeners all around the country. We have listeners in Missouri, you know, South Dakota, California, New York. For me, my congressional district is just, you know, 30 minutes by train and boat from where I am right now. And it's a swing district. So I have so much work I could do in this midterm election just in that race. So that's where my time would go, will go, is like knocking on doors, helping to organize that district. And and secondarily up in Woodstock, Antonio Delgado's district. And then money, which is another for people who have discretionary money. It's like, how do you spend your money? Part of what we're going to try to do on this podcast is give people a sense of what are good bets, almost like we're an investment podcast, like saying like, these are good places to spend your money because you and I have spent a lot of time in the grass tops of politics and the grassroots. And we have a good sense of who's doing a good job by donors and who's blowing it so that we can avoid the situation where we're asking donors to donate to Amy McGrath versus versus McConnell, right? If, if there were signs, I, I honestly didn't look closely at that race, but let's pretend like there were signs that that was a bad bet versus, you know, some of the closer races. Well, and some of the races that they wouldn't have even realized, most people don't even realize are a part of protecting American democracy, which is the point of this Ezra Klein article, right? Is that, you know, the the offices and the Bannon strategy is to go after the offices that other people aren't looking at. And that's what Democrats need to catch up to is that there are offices that control the machinery of elections and of government at all levels. And they're not talked about for the most part on, on MSNBC. Those candidates don't show up on TV. And so that's an important piece that we're going to try and a role that we're going to try to to fill moving forward. But I also think what this article does is it points out something really important, which is the difference between strategy and tactics. Yeah. Let me read that quote for you there, just so our, our listeners can have it. It's, he says, the difference between those organizing at the local level to shape democracy and those raging ineffectually about democratic backsliding, myself included, reminds me of the old line about war. Amateurs talk strategy, professionals talk logistics. Right now, Trumpists are talking logistics. Yeah. So here's what that means to me is that it's not just that Democrats have a tendency to talk about strategy. And let's define that. Like using that war analogy, strategy is like generals standing uh, around a big sand table and talking about which direction to move, you know, divisions of their army. Tactics goes well below that. Tactics is like, company commanders saying like, how are we going to take that hill, right? How are we going to move our supplies forward to that hill? Well, what's the political analogy here? It's that it goes back to the Bannon thing. It's that Democrats don't just make the error of talking strategy, which usually comes down, by the way, to talking messaging. You and I are guilty of it too. Like that's this whole show has been messaging and we're going to keep talking about the messaging. And to be clear, a lot of candidates do listen to this show. So we take that seriously. If we can give pointers on messaging, great. But there is a larger point here, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just it's not just the messaging. It's actually being able to get those supply lines to the hill. It's the money that it takes. It's focusing on the right offices. That's the right tactical questions. And boy, Democrats love nothing more, I think, than to not even to talk about what the messaging should be, but just to complain about how bad we are at naming things and how bad our party is at messaging when we don't ever 
think about the fact that, well, maybe it's harder to message when your solutions are complicated and they don't pretend that everything is black and white. And if it's harder to message, maybe we ought to be spending a whole lot more time on winning more than just Senate and congressional offices. I just took on tennis recently and I was at this place that I've been playing tennis at. And, you know, this friend I made uh, that I play tennis with was like, you know, I was listening to your podcast the other day and, and I got to ask you, like, this athletic greens, do you really take those? I was like, do I take them? And I went on a whole rant about how I'd been taking them well before their sponsor and all that. And she was like, all right, all right, enough. I get it. More than any other sponsor, I, I get, get it. the, are you really this serious about yeah, it? Uh, yeah, question yeah, about just athletic greens. Try me with so. that question, people. Well, what is it? It's one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens gives you 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. It's a blend of ingredients that supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. All the things. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash majority. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash majority to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Do you ever feel like your mind doesn't have an off switch or the tension is constantly traveling through your whole body? Or do you just feel tired no matter how much you sleep? That's just a few of the many ways that stress, anxiety, and sleeplessness can harm your mind and your body. This year, why not make small changes to your daily routine that have a big influence on your mental health and well-being? Start your year with Headspace. When I ask a friend, like, how you doing? They're always saying, oh, I'm fine. And I never really know if they mean that because fine's not really an emotion. I mean, think about it. How many times have you told yourself that you're fine when all you've really felt is anger or sadness or nerves? That's why you need Headspace. It's scientifically proven to help you manage your feelings and your mental health. In fact, a recent study proved in just two weeks, Headspace can reduce your stress by 14%. Whether you want to relieve stress and anxiety, sleep better, or improve your focus, Headspace is your everyday dose of mindfulness for real life. However you're feeling, try Headspace at headspace.com M54 and get one month free of their entire mindfulness library. This is the best Headspace offer available. So go to headspace.com M54 today. That's headspace.com M54. All right. Well, we had a voicemail, and, and to tee this up, my staff is forcing me on Twitter a little bit more than usual. I've noticed that you've been on Twitter. Yeah, well, well, I've, I'm tweeting about two of my main, my two loves in this world, the Buffalo Bills and school politics. By the way, while we're on the subject of the Buffalo Bills, all right, we'll just make this official. You were texting me the other day. Are we, are we of the agreement that if the Bills come to Kansas City to play in the playoffs, you're going to come here and we're going to do like a a tailgate or something, a majority 54. Yeah. So if there is a listener, if there are listeners out there who you can wait until the games, right? Cause I don't want to hear about this because good chance my team at least loses this weekend because we're 50, 50 against the Patriots this year. But if the, the bills win chiefs should definitely win. That means I'm coming to Kansas city. I would love for somebody who's a listener to organize a majority 54 tailgate. Uh, I will pay for it. So, oh, but I want everybody oh. to come out who's majority 54. So like, I don't know if that's a big, you sound, you said, oh, like it's a big commitment. No, no, let's leave it. You pay. <laughs> whatever, whatever. You only live once, right? Uh, but uh, we need somebody to organize it. And so after the game, either send me a DM or you could send me an email and 
I'll put the email in the show notes uh, of this show and you can just shoot us a note and hopefully we can get people together in person in Kansas City again. All right, perfect. What were we talking about? We were talking about you're back on Twitter. I, there was an easier way to set this up, but I'm glad that we did this. Somebody tweeted at me basically saying, hey, you guys were a bit depressing last week. I usually come to you guys for optimism. And I thought really hard about that. And so I asked him to actually send it in as a voicemail because it's probably easier for our listeners to digest. So let's roll the tape. Uh, hi, uh, my name's Josh. I'm a longtime Majority 54 listener. Uh, I know you from the Crooked Network. Um, and I listen to Podcast America, but sometimes uh, the boys are a little bit too pessimistic. I love them. I love them, though. Um, so after, I always listen to Majority 54 because you guys are a lot more optimistic. Uh, but about 25 minutes, 30 minutes into last week's podcast, I hear Ravi talk about um, what comes next could be worse. Um, and I like reflexively kind of just turned off the podcast and put on like comforting music. And I had to stop work because I realized I was like crying like so hard. Like I was so overcome with sadness and despair. Um, like what do we do? Like we see this happening in real time and no one has a plan or anything to stop it. Um, I got through the anniversary of the insurrection fine. It was, it was listening to your podcast kind of kind of wrecked me because this is my my hopeful podcast this is my what do we do about it podcast uh so um yeah uh, thanks uh I, I i'm in ca25 i do volunteer for chrissy smith i do try to get involved as best i can so i i'm i'm because of crooked and you guys i'm part of the good fight um have a have a great week and i'm i'm destined to have a better week than last week thanks so Jason, what do we, uh, I think this was an earnest response to, you know, we kind of knew when we taped that episode that it was going to be a bit of a downer, which I know we try not to do. How do we balance telling the truth about the threats that we face and how we truly feel about it, right? We want to be human beings with the need to take action and be positive and, and goal oriented. Honestly, I felt the same way after that episode. And I bet you did too. Like it was like, and the thing is, you know, he says in the voicemail that he stopped listening. I. I wish he had kept listening because we did we did realize that it was getting too much of a downer and we we tried to bring it back and, and talk about what people can do and what we were feeling optimistic about. But, you know, it's why I've been excited for this episode where we talk about all the things we're going to do to focus on the action that people can take. And because that's the thing is like what we're not going to do is pretend that everything's fine when it's not fine. But what we can do is talk about what people can do because when you and I do a, an episode like that where we just talk about how bad everything is I don't know about you I feel like oh well we didn't actually do anything to affect it and then I feel down yeah I felt incomplete after that episode and that's part of you know we had been planning what we're doing today for a while like we were planning to head into 2022 stridently talking about the midterms anyway but in many ways it feels right as a balance like I think that you know, last week, there's some, you know, different ways I wish I would talk about it. But in the end, it was the truth. And I think it's just hard not to talk about this sort of asteroid that's heading for us. <laughs> yeah. And I think like, you know, we, we could still be Armageddon, like the, the movie, but there is an asteroid heading for us. So we need to, we need to both acknowledge the asteroid and then figure out how we could blow that thing up. Well, and that's that I think gets into one of the differences between us and, and most of the other podcasts on the left or a lot of the left, which is we are interested in 
acknowledging effective strategies without like endorsing them, right? Like, I mean, we've talked about this before that the tendency on the left to feel like you can defeat arguments by being dismissive and smug toward them is harmful. And the fact that so few people realize that democracy is at such a, such a fragile point makes it all the more important that we not dismiss the like Republicans who, who say things like I saw a Republican Senator today tweet, like make no mistake, you know, the Democrats aren't interested in voting rights. They're just interested in gaining power. Well, look, there's a large school of thought on the left that says like, just be dismissive of that. Cause that's so obviously not true. But what we, what we actually have to do is recognize that that's an incredibly effective line of argument, that there's no reason that people wouldn't believe that if they don't hear a response about it. And you, you have to counter it. You have to recognize that saying that a political party just wants to gain power is something people are inclined to believe. Yeah. And I think one thing we've been doing more over the past year is, you know, feeling comfortable to depart from the consensus from time to time and sometimes pointing out where there isn't a consensus. I think one of the problems that I look back on over the past four and five years of my time in politics is that I let too many pitches go by where somebody said something and I was like, yeah, this is getting cheers here, but this is not even what the majority of Democrats believe. And I I feel like that's my biggest lesson learned over the past four to five years is that I felt like I was quiet in service of unity and I'm proud of the unity that we showed. And I think there's no reason why we can't be unified at the ballot box while having really important discussions and disagreements before we get there. You know, like there's no, like a good example is the school closure thing, which we're not going to talk too much about today is like, I don't know who agrees with me or disagrees with me on school closures anymore politically. I I, I know where the right is, but the, the left seems to have a very vibrant and diverse discussion about it. And I think it's a good thing. Like we're trying to figure out a difficult problem that has a, like really important stakes for kids. And I think a lot of us have relieved ourselves of this burden that we all need to agree on everything all the time. And I think in some weird way, that's going to help us because I think that people are, are mature enough at this point to disagree along the way and then still pull lever for the same person. Well, social media distorts this badly, right? Because what happens is, is when there's something where like part of me goes, I'm not sure I agree with what everybody on my side seems to be saying about this. But then like you log into Twitter and it's like, Every blue check mark I'm friends with seems to be like, well, obviously it's this. But what happens is the way it distorts it, it's not like I'm afraid to counter it. It's, it makes me go, okay, maybe I'm wrong. It just makes me go, I guess I, I should think more about this because I, I must be wrong because everyone else is so sure that they're right. And I think, I think what we're saying is like, maybe we just try not to fall for that. Like, I think independently. So Ravi, we have a new sponsor, Sakara. Uh, we've both gotten some stuff in the mail. I'm curious, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so Sakara sent me this box and it is unbelievable. I had their pasta ala vodka with kale parmesan, which is incredible. They have cherry vanilla parfait. They had protein power plates with golden turmeric flatbread. They had prosperity pad thai. I mean, they just have like all these awesome uh, recipes that I would never think to put together myself. And I've been eating them uh, for lunch every day at my office. What is it? Well, Sakar is a wellness company anchored in food as medicine. It's on a mission to nourish your body through the power of plants. And they give you the tools that you need to transform your life with their organic, ready-to-eat meal delivery program and functional wellness essentials. And I've got the meals and I've got a bunch of other things like their protein bars um, and their tea, which is really awesome. 
And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash majority54 or enter code majority54 at checkout. That's Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash majority54 to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash majority54. If you dread looking at your credit card statements, you're not alone. The weight of debt can be crippling, but Upstart can help you on your path to financial freedom. It's a fast and easy way to pay off your debt with personal loans all online. And whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment with a clear payoff date. I've been recommending this to a lot of people in my life who've been struggling with debt. I know a lot of people's debt has you know skyrocketed over the past few years with the pandemic and all the hardship that we're seeing. And I know things are just getting more expensive. So I can't recommend this product enough. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash majority 54. That's upstart.com slash majority 54. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Upstart.com slash majority 54. I think we have time for one more voicemail, Jason. We have a teacher who showed up to our Majority 54 live event in Missouri. He's checking back in. Let's listen to this voicemail. Hi, y'all. Uh, my name is Baxter Yarbrough, and I'm a teacher, uh, sorry, a high school teacher in rural Kentucky. Um, I asked y'all a question during their live show in Kansas City, and it really helped me with teaching my content so far. Um, but, you know, with this year, there's just been a lot of difficult behavior management, motivating kids through COVID fatigue and just everything else that comes with the school year. Um, so, again, I teach government and economics, and we're about to cover a unit over elections and election procedures. I want my class to address and debunk myths of election fraud that kind of came up in the 2020 election and just walk away, you know, having faith in our electoral process. But I'm not exactly sure how to approach it. Um, I, I worry about how the information and just the preconceived notions that my students are bringing into our classroom could affect things. Um, and especially whether or not they're going to end up viewing me as credible when a good chunk of their families invite Tucker Carlson and the like into their homes every night. So what are y'all's general thoughts on that? And is there anything else y'all can share about how to talk to kids about politics? Thank y'all so much. Have a good day. Bye. This is tricky, man, because he, he absolutely could lose his job. I, I have like thoughts on what to do, but I don't know if what I was going to say is appropriate for a teacher in rural Kentucky who would like to remain a teacher in rural Kentucky. So I'll, I'll leave that more to you. I think some listeners are going to hate me for this, but in I, I, thinking about this teacher's job, as somebody who's been mining the internet for stories about CRT over the past few months, I can say with certainty that this teacher would lose his job if he went anywhere near contemporary voting rights issues in, in any of the ways he's describing. And I think that's sad. That's not a situation I endorse. So I'm just saying that's the situation he's likely encountering. And I have read so many stories of people locally being fired for teaching accurate readings of history or weighing in in just some way about their... There's a case in East Tennessee, for example, of a teacher who had long been teaching about white privilege in the classroom and then was recently fired for a lesson he'd been teaching for a long time. And, and we covered that in, in a different show I'm involved in. And so I would think that this teacher has to be careful. If you're going to do anything, I would ask your administrators first. I would create a paper trail. That might not do it, but I would, I would do that anyway. Let them say no. 
so that you've tried. And, you know, obviously, if you want to become a martyr over this issue, that's certainly your prerogative. But I would go in with the clear eyes that you could lose your job. This is the sad state we're in. You could lose your job for teaching about that. Now, you could teach about historic voting rights. I would tee that up to your administrators, too, and say, look, I want to do a lesson about, you know, the fight for voting rights in the 60s or poll taxes and other things. And you could just not go there with contemporary issues and hope that your kids put two and two together or that your own students raise the issues. Like maybe you create a discussion where you do absolutely nothing to put your your hand on the scales or whatever the hell the term is, and then just expect that the students will share the diversity of viewpoints. But I would not personally weigh in because that could cost you your job. Yeah, I think because what I was going to recommend, but maybe it's it's maybe it's dangerous for him to do this, is sort of starting the entire unit by telling the students, look, I'm I'm very trepidatious about this. Like, and here's why. I have what I don't believe is an opinion. I have access to the facts, and I'm aware that there are people, you don't even have to say which side, you say there are people on cable news who are saying things that are not true. And when you say something in class that you've heard at home that I know not to be true, my instinct is to correct it and tell you it's not true. But we unfortunately live in a time where that might offend some people. Like I would start with that. And then I, I guess to me, it's like your obligation really is to teach them how to be really discerning about where to get their news. It doesn't mean you have to tell them where to get their news, but I would Something that nobody really ever did for me in high school, and maybe it wasn't as necessary then, but is pull back the curtain about, well, why why would they say that? Whatever it is, like teaching your students to ask follow-up questions and to go and do, uh, to double check what it is that's being said on cable news and to actually read and look for actual evidence. But I think the biggest thing is to teach them to ask, is it in their interest for that to be believed to be true? Because look, that could also, I mean, your argument could be like, if, if parents complain, you could say, well, I'm also teaching them that if Democrats are saying that the election was above board and Democrats won, like, couldn't they just as easily use that logic to say, well, that's in their interest to say that. So I still think this gets him in trouble. I, I, I wish that this wouldn't. Now, here's an idea. You could teach just generally about skepticism and logical fallacies and logic generally, and you could you could construct a few really clever lessons about things like people saying that the moon landing was fake, the 9-11 was an inside job, like things that wouldn't get you in trouble in that district. You know, I mean, I hope not. Who the who the hell knows what has just going on anymore? But like, let's assume that doesn't get you in trouble in your district. Yeah, probably doesn't, right? Take a few examples of conspiracies that aren't going to get you in trouble. And there's like a lot of great examples from David Ferrier, who does the uh, the armchair expert podcast every Friday with Dak Shepard. He does like he debunks a different conspiracy theory every week. And so you could pick some of the less political in America ones and then not just make it about debunking that like and like share source material and use it as an example to teach people that they can't always rely on the media, the alternative sources of media, and that there are certain moves they need to make to independently fact check things. And there are certain logical or illogical moves people make when they're spreading conspiracy theories. And that humans being pattern-seeking machines are always looking for conspiracies and hope that you're giving them tools that can apply to other things. And maybe you can even make that a part of the unit to be like, hey, are there other examples of where you see this kind of thinking at play? Now, I would prepare yourself like it could be the opposite of what you want, but 
that's part of teaching though, right? It's like, how do you get at that? Well, there's also a good argument to be made that even if you are successful in convincing these high school students that this election was not stolen, well, you haven't really armed them for the next lie they're going to hear down the road. Whereas if you teach them how to spot and beware of conspiracy theories, you're probably arming them over the long term to be a more responsible citizen. Yeah. Best thing you could do is be like, what's an ad hominem argument? What is sufficient evidence? What does it mean to be peer reviewed? You know, what does it mean to have motivated reasoning where you're only looking for facts that confirm your own, your, your pre-existing belief? Like if you give students lessons on that and then have them just continually apply them to new things, that to me is your best bet. And also a sure, safe way to avoid losing your job. And you've done it and your job as a teacher is to, to make them better off had they not met you. And having met this young man, like unquestionably he's, a better presence in their life than not. So I wouldn't want him to martyr himself over voting rights alone. I think he can stick it out and come up with clever ways to drop some wisdom on his kids. So as part of this new series, Road to the Midterms, we have on uh, one of the great organizers in the country, Ben Wickler, who's the chair of the Wisconsin Democratic Party. Ben is a tremendous visionary leader who is fighting against nonstop shenanigans from the GOP on everything from judges to local leaders to congressional redistricting to presidential politics to vote recounts. You know, he was pushing for innovations in door-to-door electioneering in the middle of COVID. And we worked with him on a documentary on that. He is just such a wonderful guy. And I sleep well at night knowing that he's at the helm in Wisconsin. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Hey, happy to be here, Ravi. Well, we have this series we're kicking off actually with this episode. It's called Road to the Midterms. And we couldn't think of a more important midterm state than Wisconsin. Ben, what are the stakes in Wisconsin? What's happening in the two to four year horizon for you? I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that the fate of American democracy hangs in the balance in Wisconsin over these next four years. And let me walk through the different pieces of that. It's basically democracy at all levels. In 2022, We actually have elections in April for local offices, which are kind of the appetizer for the Grand Royale battle for the the fate of our republic. These local offices, offices like city council and mayor, actually determine who administers the election in cities and small towns across our state. Wisconsin has a very localized election administration system. So we're going to be organizing our tails off to make sure that those aren't taken over by Steve Bannon acolytes who don't think democracy should be our form of government. And that gears us up for this fall. One fight people across the country know about is Ron Johnson is running for re-election. And he is a disastrous, embarrassingly bad senator who's an active menace to public health democracy itself uh, and is also a kind of a grifter at the highest level. He personally demanded a special tax cut for designated S corporations, which he happens to own, um, and which also benefited his biggest campaign donors who put $20 million into his campaign and got a $200 million tax break the first year that the tax break was in, in effect. So this guy, he's very beatable. He's very unpopular, but he is He's really a threat, and he helped you know feed and ringlead the the effort that led to the insurrection. And then he's been saying ever since that the insurrection wasn't really an insurrection, and it was patriots who love their country and love law enforcement that would never think about breaking the law. And if the laws were broken, it was fake Trump protesters. I mean, dangerous, dangerous stuff. What's striking is that for for voters in the state who don't pay much attention to politics, 
hearing about his corruption is actually at least as important as hearing about how out to lunch his positions on things like COVID vaccines are. And so we want to not fall into the kind of trap that people had with Trump in 2016 of just talking about how offensive he is. We also want to talk about what actually affects voters in their lives. So there's that battle, which could determine control of the Senate, which then determines whether we have any Supreme Court justices that get to be appointed. We've got the House because there's only seven congressional districts in the country where Trump won and a Democrat won in 2020. And one of them's in Wisconsin, the third congressional district. And Ron Kind, the great member of Congress who served there and won that race, he's retiring. So it's an open seat now. And we have three strong Democrats in the primary. But winning that House seat is necessary if we're going to retain the House majority. So, so far, we've got the House, the Senate, and the Supreme Court. Then there's the presidency. And the thing about Wisconsin is we've been the tipping point state in both of the last two presidential elections. And we're actually the only state in the country that's had four out of the last six presidential elections come down to less than one percentage point. So it is the closest state. It came down to, in a state with 3.28 million voters in 2020, it came down to 20,682 votes in 2020. And Ben, how many how many votes did you personally steal in order to deliver that? <laughs> I cast one vote <laughs> under the Republican rubric of anytime Democrats vote, it's fraud. Um, then you could say that I that that I'm responsible for one uh, vote Republicans <laughs> would have a problem with. I could see why you can't even acknowledge that joke. It's probably can't be used. To it. Oh, it's terrible. You know, but here's the thing: we like you talked about Senate, Supreme Court and congress so before you get to the presidency i think it's important for people to recognize that we could we could beat ron johnson we could replace ron kind with another democrat and yet at the same time there are still races that could be determinative that if we don't pay attention to them in a place like wisconsin that you then can lose the presidency through malfeasance in 24 that's exactly it that's exactly it and that's where where i'm coming with this because Wisconsin is so incredibly close, like a gust of wind can determine who who wins in Wisconsin, and that can then determine the outcome of a presidential race. The governorship matters incredibly for determining whether we have a real democracy here or not. Scott Walker, when he was governor, passed one of the most restrictive voter ID laws in the country. There are big studies that conclude that it cost Democrats hundreds of thousands of net votes in 2016, and Trump won by 23,000 votes in 2016. And then we had a Democratic governor who said we should be a pro-voting state, voting rights for everyone. And he blocked Republican efforts uh, to try to subvert the right to vote. And we won by 20,000 something votes in, in 2020. And so you can see right there the impact of having a Democratic governor. Right now, he's vetoing voter suppression bill after voter suppression bill that Republicans are passing through our state legislature. And they don't have a supermajority? They don't. We, we, he actually put his reelection campaign on hold last year and ran a project with our state party and the state legislature called Save the Veto to stop Republicans from getting a supermajority. And are there, are there key elections up this year that could give them the supermajority? Yes. <laughs> Funny you should ask. So, we, so the Republican, Rebecca Clayfish, who's running for governor here, Scott Walker's lieutenant governor, loved all the things Walker did, wants to go along lot further. She has publicly, it's in her campaign manifesto, she wants to give the state legislature control of election administration. She was asked Ugh. directly whether she thinks the state, she'd sign a bill that would let the state legislature overturn a presidential election result. She said it would be premature to comment. She is like way out there. And this is a, a centerpiece of her campaign for governor. You know, you can see the stack of bills the governor's vetoed, right? Governor Evers, Tony Evers, our Democratic governor is vetoed right now. All those would be law and it would go way beyond that if Republicans get our governorship. So, Ben, 
I want I want to talk a little bit about it in a second, like everything people can do to help you with this. Before we get there, I'm curious, your state, when you think of Wisconsin, you know, most of us like coast, like East Coast, West Coast people think of like, you know, very polite, you know, semi-Canadian people. But, you know, we've been we've been sort of front seat to a couple of major cultural flashpoints coming out of Wisconsin this year, you know, to a more trivial extent, Aaron Rodgers, and then to a more serious extent, Kyle Rittenhouse. How does that, how are you seeing that reverberating throughout the electorate? You know, like how people treat issues like that versus say, you know, meat and potatoes, like kitchen table type issues. Yeah. So I want to speak to that. I also want to finish my list of fights because I actually didn't get to the end of it. Oh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, man. Is this your podcast? I thought this was our podcast. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Go ahead. For yeah, those listening, so Robbie and I have actually known been so a while. Selfish. We're not just yeah. completely hazing a guy we just <laughs> Look, met. Look, we I wanted to talk about sports, but sure. <laughs> you want to talk about Savior and Democracy, Ben? Sure, go ahead. Selfish. So we have the, the governor, House, Senate, state legislature. We have an attorney general, who Josh Call, who's great. And before the election last year, he he did a press conference and said, if you try to intimidate voters, that is a felony in the state of Wisconsin. He's a pro-voting attorney general. And the contrast between that and Republicans who basically, uh, you know, try to turn polling places into opportunities to investigate people, well-meaning voters for theoretical voter fraud, it's enormous. Like the attorney general's office can be a tool of voter suppression or it can be an engine of democracy. And Josh Call believes in democracy as much as, you know, safety, rule of law, democracy. Those are his his hallmarks. So that race is very critical. The secretary of state has been almost completely disempowered by Republicans in Wisconsin. There's a Republican state legislator running for secretary of state and asking that power be returned to that office. So that's another possible venue for Republicans to build an election subversion operation. All of that's on the ballot in the fall of 2022. Widen the aperture a little bit. Spring of 2023, we have a state Supreme Court race that will determine the majority in the state's highest court. That court rules constantly about voting rights issues. And right now it's in the process of determining what the legislative maps will be. And the current Republican-dominated state Supreme Court announced that it would use a least changes approach on redistricting relative to the 2010 maps, which are hyper GOP partisan maps. Wisconsin is international monitors call it a democracy desert and compare it to some of the least democratic places in the world because we have such incredibly gerrymandered maps where Democrats twice have won outright majorities, significant majorities in the vote for state legislature and gotten almost super minorities in the number of legislators that they actually win. And all of that is a prelude to 2024 when we're probably the tipping point state yet again. And so if we have a progressive or or conservative majority in our state Supreme Court, if we have a pro-democracy governor, the ability to sustain a veto, attorney general, those things could determine who the next president of the United States is or more dangerously, whether a legitimate election is overturned. And that those are the stakes that people have right now. And if it weren't for the fact that we have some amazing opportunities to make a difference, it would be enough to make your brain implode because it's a it's a lot. And to connect to your other question, I think one reason why moments have this greater explosiveness that connect to cultural and political issues here is often that people do recognize that the political stakes of anything in Wisconsin can have huge national implications. So there's this constant effort by the right to use racial fear and incite you know, try to try to inflame racism among voters in order to win elections. Nine out of 10 Wisconsin voters are white. 
And the the job of our Democrats is to be able to deflate the power of those kinds of attacks and move the locus of the conversation to things that unite voters, white, black, and brown, rural, suburban, and, and urban. Like we all want great schools for our kids. We all want you know, clean air and, and water. We all want good roads that we can drive on um, and, and an economy where we can all thrive. And Republicans try to distract and divide people. Um, both Rebecca Clayfish and Ron Johnson running for Senate used imagery from, you know, the of, of fires burning in Kenosha in their campaign launch ads. Uh, this is the centerpiece of, of their attacks is to try to make people feel afraid and like they need to cling to what they have and hold on instead of uh, thinking about how to build a state where everyone can succeed. And the painful reality of it is all their policy prescriptions actually, you know, hurt voters middle class and working class voters across Wisconsin, regardless of their politics or the color of their skin or the language they speak at home. Republicans are trying to rob them blind to benefit people at the top. And and Democrats need to to undercut that strategy and and, and move people to to uniting in a way that that works for everybody. And elect people to offices up and down the ticket because even if you're successful in convincing everybody that those two people are, you know, con artists, it's not going to matter if they get a legislature that'll overturn an election. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And one of the things that I love about the fact that we have such strong independent grassroots groups here and a strong party is that the the kind of ecosystem, the organizing ecosystem here works to elect Democrats up and down the ticket. And so we're going to have a, you know, a dynamite program helping state legislative candidates. But when we when we knock on someone's door, we'll talk about the state legislative race and the congressional race and the governor's race and the Senate race and hopefully, you know, get them uh, get people talking enough that they want to discuss all four of those things as opposed to just one. Um, but but having a, a strong party organization means that individual candidates can make the case for themselves and know that there will be a coordinated campaign to elect Democrats up and down the ticket in the fall. All right. So now that people are like ready to run through a wall listening to this and they're like this, this, this Ben Wickler guy, he knows what, what to do. How can they help you? Is there is there a way? This is like a sidebar. Is there a way we could create a page for Majority Fifty Four listeners to donate to the Wisconsin Democratic Party? Absolutely. Actually, if you go to wisdems.org slash m five four wisdems.org slash m five four, we will set that up as a page that people can donate, um, and we'll know that it came from you. I have a more philosophical question for you because one thing our listeners struggle with is just not losing their minds in the face of evil uh, and and not feeling despondent in the face of these obstacles. You seem like a relatively happy and well-adjusted guy. What what kind of tricks do you use to stay motivated and stay in the fight? For me, I get energy from feeling like what I'm doing is actually making a difference. And that is the thing that I'm sort of always drawn to. And the thing that I'm excited to, to share, we actually have the opportunity to do in Wisconsin. Obviously, there are dire consequences if we lose in a bunch of these things. If we win, we can make a positive difference in people's lives. But most strikingly, a lot of these local elections come down to like a few dozen votes. And an individual person can make enough calls to, to win a state legislative race in Wisconsin. One of our closest seats in 20, uh, 2020 came down to 89 votes. And one person can turn out 89 voters if you, if you set your mind to it. The other thing that is a huge deal in our state right now is that you can request an absentee ballot for the entire calendar year now. Like this week, I went to the website myvote.wi.gov and clicked through and requested my absentee ballots for the November election. 
And that means that we can do get out the vote work this entire year. Every time you're mad about something Ron Johnson said or how, you know, the Republican candidate for governor, Rebecca Clayfish, saying that her, her supporters should be knives out in the election, which is a phrase that she's using at rallies, which I do not love. You can literally text friends and ask them to request absentee ballots for the November election. And in 2020, 98% of people who requested absentee ballots wound up voting. Like it's an incredibly powerful thing because we can, we can follow up with people over and over and over. So we have a bigger window for get out the vote in Wisconsin in 2022 than we ever have. And we have like a million people who voted with absentee ballots in 2020. So there's tons of people who know how to do this. And that's like a superpower that I'm, I'm thrilled that we all have. And even if you're not in Wisconsin, if you go to wisdems.org slash volunteer, you can join phone banks and call people and tell them about absentee ballot requests right now. And it'll make a difference that'll affect democracy in the whole country for the rest of our lives. Well, I got to say for people who out there who wonder who's out there, who I don't often hear about, who's like making a difference. I think now they know <laughs> they know that you've been holding things together. Your, your leadership, a lot of people who you work with, uh, have been holding things together in Wisconsin that's made a real difference. I remember when, because I think you were at Move On before, right? Yeah, you you were at Move On and you were in D.C. And I remember that's how I got to know you. And you were a guy who everybody was like, this guy is, I mean, he's top notch. He's this up and coming young organizer and he's in D.C. And, and then I remember when you decided you were going to go home and you were going to uh, run for Wisconsin Democratic chair. And a lot of people were like, why is he doing that? And now all those people are like, thank God he did that. And uh, and so, you know, now the rest of the world knows why that's been so important and why positions like this one are so important. You're very kind. I will say that in every state, there are people that are in the trenches, often so far from the spotlight, who are doing work that can change the future of the country. And I, I feel really lucky to work with a deeply talented team in Wisconsin. You know, next door is Michigan and Minnesota, dynamite state parties that are doing democracy-saving work. And wherever you go, there's a way to plug in. And if, if someone's listening right now, I hope you volunteer to help us in Wisconsin. I hope you donate to help us in Wisconsin, but also get involved in rebuilding democracy where you are. Republicans are taking this local across the country, and it could have shockwaves for a long time to come. We need to fight back at the local level, even as we think about the national picture. And if we invest ourselves in this and commit to it, we can save democracy for the whole country. Well, Ben, uh, Godspeed out there. And, uh, you know, we really appreciate your efforts and, and thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. All right. As we mentioned, we are really interested in in talking to people who are who are looking to persuade people in their lives or who have been trying to persuade people in their lives, who have anecdotes to tell about it, who want backup. Maybe you're one of those people. Leave us a voicemail. 508-687-2589. 508-687-2589. I'm at Jason Kander on Instagram and Twitter. Ravi is at Ravi M. Gupta on Twitter and Instagram. He's actually on Twitter more now. And our show is at Majority54 on Twitter. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch, Edie Allard, and Adesua Agbanile. Theme music provided by Kemet Coleman, and special thanks to Diana Kander. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas 
dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.